What's going on, Sharp Football Fantasy family? It is your resident Swami of Konami, Rich Rebar, and we are here. Week 9 It is the halfway point of the NFL season, pretty wild to believe. We've turned the calendar over from October to November. Uh, man, we are really moving through the season. It is absolutely crazy how fast time goes, but I had to bring on another great guest for you guys this week. Uh, it is the man, my fellow Ohioan brother here. It's Ian Harditz from Pro Football Focus. Ian, what's going on, brother? Great to be back on, man. We've talked a few times here, even met in real life in Canton a time or two. Always a great day. It'd be great. But yeah, man, you said it week nine, somehow halfway up through the season. But I'm feeling good, Rich. We got our, you know, six teams on by this week. I feel like I'm just catching my stride. So no loss of uh, optimism energy over here, brother. <laughs> and Ian, if you follow him on Twitter, one of the, one of the really good Twitter accounts, one of the great fantasy football grinders too. You know, you are out here putting out content. I mean, like every day, you've got the wide receiver, cornerback matchup charts. You're doing the the fantasy football manifesto. You do you do a running back handcuff index. Uh, quickly, just run down the people exactly what you got going on in your life every week and where they can find some of this stuff. Yeah, a lot of people just think I tweet bullshit all day and kind of like call it a day at that. But we got seven articles and seven podcasts a week over at PFF.com. Basically positional previews. And I also throw in my sheesh report on Monday nights, which they call, you know, fantasy fallout because that's more SEO friendly or something. Yeah, but yeah. that's the one I've added to the plate this year that I am really proud of because, you know, going through, watching – we play from every game and just keeping track of all the beyond the box score things. So it might be a tilting experience for you, you know, to have to go back in Tuesday morning and read about all the near misses that your fantasy players had. But Rich, I mean, I, I know, you know, man, the easiest way to like see through someone if they actually know kind of what they're talking about in this industry is if they make that fatal mistake of trying to, you know, shoot down someone's bad performance when they actually didn't watch it and knew how close <laughs> they were to having a big game. So again, trying to cover all those bases the best we can never quite going to you know get everything rich that doesn't mean we can't try yeah no i love it i i honestly think you have one of the the smarter brands that have been built in fantasy football over there i, I admire your dedication uh to tweeting as well uh <laughs> one of the great that. twitter accounts uh, you know warren i work you know for warren and warren is like that too he's, he's great at mixing in enough real football and enough fun uh i do kind of bring up though one thing is you do tweet out these these grocery store trips, uh, and it seems to trigger the people pretty well. I, I don't know how you're alive, but you're a young man, so you know you you, you still are are living. I'm I'm actually jealous that you can get away with what you're getting away with in those carts. Uh, well, Rich, like the thing is, you've been following me for a bit. The carts, like the cart I set out last Friday night, was a massive improvement for me, and absolutely nobody like actually gave me the benefit of the doubt on that. So yes, lucky to lucky to have the palate I have, I guess. But I will say, I got shamed a little bit. Shout out uh, Draft Cheat, Pete. I think he's one of the better Twitter accounts out there as well. But man, you know, just enough people telling you to eat better. So now I'm forcing myself. Before we get into any snacks, I have this disgusting vegetable one scoop drink thing that I chug. And then I have another uh, Nutri thing. So I don't know, man. I work out. I, 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 I'm pretty good about working out a lot. Hopefully that, uh, you know, whatever the thing in your body is that, uh, you know, condenses the food really fast. Yeah, metabolism. metabolism. There we go. That's the Hopefully the metabolism keeps doing its job. It's the real MVP. Yeah, yeah, and I'm jealous. You know, I have my my <laughs> my, my oldest son is going to be 18 in February. He can eat wherever he wants and still doesn't gain any weight. I'm je I'm jealous <laughs> of all you guys. But yeah, listen, let's get into get into some football here. We had, we actually had a trade deadline, the NFL trade deadline, and it actually was fun. You know, when I was growing up, the NFL trade deadline was lame. Like dudes never got traded. Uh, you know, football is a harder game for like people to move around. But like now that the game is like has like more parity and more people are open to actually pushing to like pushing their chips in to win immediately. You start to see some of these fun moves. And this is probably one of the more active trade deadlines. I don't know how active it was necessary for fantasy, but we'll walk through a couple of these things. Probably the most fantasy noteworthy guy that was moved. And we can debate a couple of these guys, but uh, probably was Chase Claypool going to the bears, you know, Chase Claypool, third year wide receiver, you know, great rookie season kind of took a step back last year. I mean, who hasn't stepped back in the Pittsburgh offense, right. Sure. Uh, you know, going to play with Justin Fields now. So kind of what is your read on Chase Claypool, not even just for himself in fantasy outlook, but, you know, what it could mean for Justin Fields, Darnell Mooney, uh, anything above, however you want to spin it. 
It's great for Justin Fields because they finally added a weapon. For the life of me, I don't know why it took until November 1st. Like, is this really? I've heard some people try to twist this. It's like, oh, Fields earned the right for this organization. Like, <laughs> trust him and start giving him receivers to throw to, not name like Byron Pringle and stuff. Like, come on, man. Just the whole offseason. You look at what the Bears and Texans have done specifically over these last two years. And anyone with a brain can see these teams have no actual idea. Like, they're not trying to win football games. They're put, trying to put the team out there and tank and deal with you know their expiring contracts and all that obviously the football players out there on the field aren't tanking it's far too physical of a sport for anyone to you know be moving at less than 100 percent but the problem is man for the texans okay i get it but the bears you already traded up for the first round quarterback that you're you know you would seemingly be tanking to try to get so you can argue man that fields out of that entire class has shown more than any of those other quarterbacks at least he has had some highs to go along with the lows that everyone has been dealing with so Okay, we got Claypool there. Price seemed a little steep, but good. Let's find out if Justin Fields is the man or not because that continues to be, uh, you know, the biggest just advantage, I think, in team building in the NFL, having that great quarterback on a rookie deal that then allows you to be able to spend resources elsewhere on the squad. So good job. Again, took a little longer than I would have uh, hoped for, but we finally got here, so I'll stop complaining about that. I think the real lure is uh, from a fantasy perspective, because look, there's this is the second most run-heavy offense in the league. I mean, Darnell Mooney would be fourth on the Steelers in targets this year, even though he's the mm-hmm. clear-cut number one in Chicago. So if anything, I think Claypool is going to be a worse fantasy asset in Chicago, and Mooney's uh, floor drops as well. I'm more excited about what's going on in Pittsburgh now, because, you know, just this team, they have two wide receivers now, Deontay Johnson and George Pickens. We now no longer have to worry about the three or four options. Pat Fryermuth is still there, but it's not going to be split as evenly. And finally, I think Kenny Pickett, who hasn't been good, but I think, I don't know, watching the games hasn't been horrendous, and nobody should have expected him to be good with this stretch he's been dealing with. He got thrown in at halftime against a very good Jets secondary. They go into Buffalo. He gets concussed against the Bucks. In the last two weeks, he was in Miami, rainy night, and then in Philly. So, any, anyone that expected him to actually you know, pass those tests with flying colors, obviously, you know, I want what they were smoking. But just overall, man, we, now we have Pickens and Deontay, condensed target share, two very talented receivers. If Pickett, understandably, can just play a little bit better against an easier schedule, I think finally we can get some consistency out of that Pittsburgh offense. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully we can get a Deontay Johnson touchdown this year. That would be really cool. Just one. one. <laughs> it would be really cool. He's been on the sheesh report a few times, I believe, oh uh, for sure. I don't think anyone has a greater catalog of non-catches this season uh, than Deontay Johnson. You're, you, you are correct. He is a sheesh MVP so far. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's a great point, you know, bringing up about – because Pickett is a guy that his, his numbers don't look good, but absolutely just tremendously brutal stretch. I mean, it yeah. makes – he makes his first career start in Buffalo. You know, he's faced the Buccaneers, which they actually got a, a dub in. I know that he didn't finish that game, but they were winning when he left the game. So he deserves some credit. He started the yeah. game. And then, you know, Dolphins, Eagles, not exactly the greatest run out, both road games as well. So let's see what the Steelers do coming out of the bye here. Uh, I'm with you on the, on the, the Claypool stuff, just going to the Bears offense. It just, it just means more probably a little bit more for Justin Fields, who's playing well for fantasy right now too. We also had TJ Hawkinson, get moved and on the surface this looks like a pretty like good clear like kind of win-win if as trades go especially in division trades where you you know the vikings they don't really have anyone outside of justin jefferson thielen's been okay uh he's also older you know we don't know how much longer adam thielen we're gonna have he did pick up a knee injury too last week irv smith's now basically out for the year and kg osborne hasn't stepped up so they got a guy like tj hawkinson but does TJ Hawkinson going to the Vikings really change anything from a fantasy stance for TJ Hawkinson? Or do you think this is an upgrade? I think it's a more consistent passing offense. And we'll give Kirk Cousins and company mm-hmm. the nod over, uh, you know, Jared Goff and the restore the roar faithful over there in Detroit. But no, not really, man. Like if you want to move him up a spot or two, that's fine. But I still don't really see Hawkinson cracking into, you know, definitely not the Andrews Kelsey tier. And I still mm-hmm. think that, you know, Dallas Goddard and even Darren Waller when he's healthy, probably just going to have a little bit higher ceiling. That said, Adam Thielen got a little nicked up last week. He stayed in the game. He is only one injury away from getting that, you know, full-time role, I think. That's the catch here because TJ Hawkinson in Detroit, 
almost an every down player. I mean, the snap rates were over well over 83% in all but one game this season. Irv Smith was not. Now that could be because he broke his hand and I believe it was, might've been a finger, hand, finger, whatever. In the preseason, he comes in, then obviously he gets banged up last week, but Johnny Munt was taking enough off Irv Smith's plate that we couldn't really feel comfortable with that mm-hmm. weekly role. So you trade this much for TJ Hawkinson. I, you know, I think that would warrant changing your kind of depth chart around and just really making sure you feature the guy. But for this week, especially man, short week to learn the playbook and stuff. I have Hawkinson down there at tight end nine. I do think guys like Pitts, Everett, Tyler Higby, we're just, you know, expecting them to have more volume this week. So Hawkinson, obviously a very good player and everything, but I don't think, you know, his status as a former number eight overall pick has necessarily been reflected in uh, just his year to year fantasy upside. He's consistently been a mid tier tight end one. And I kind of think that's what he's going to continue to be in Minnesota. But to your original point, man, it really is a nice move for, uh, you know, the Vikings. And you can argue the Lions as well. I do wish uh, some of the, because my God, man, you were on Twitter this entire summer. Where's all the restore the roar people, all the Dan Campbell (laughs) head coach of the year. I mean, Rich, we got to go out here and, you know, we get toasted every single week because of the ranks were wrong or this prediction was wrong. I feel like some of these not fancy and let's get to say whatever they want before the season. (laughs) And nobody thinks to bring it back up when it all goes south, you know, a couple months later. So. We'll see. I know the uh, second half schedule is always the allure of uh, betting the Detroit Lions win total over, but so far, not so good uh, for the, for, you know, the restore the roar faithful. The, the Lions do just enough to, to, to lure you in and make you believe. And they just, <laughs> then they do just enough to make you realize like they're still so far away, Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, every week. I mean, they come out they're they're they come out and they're up. What are they up? 21, six in that game last week. Or yeah. They look great. First three drives, three touchdowns. Yeah, they, I think they scored in their first five drives of the game, and then, you know, nothing, nothing the rest of the game. I don't think they've scored in the second half the past three weeks. So the problem you know. is, man, like I look at this team, I think Jared Goff and like Andy Dalton, you could say like some of their parts quarterbacks. We've seen Goff be really good. This was like the number one ranked scoring offense after five weeks of the year. What happened? Amon Ross St. Brown got hurt. DeAndre Swift was hurt. You know, Hawkinson had a big game here or there. But all of a sudden, all those parts are going away. It doesn't sound like Jamison Williams is, you know, going to even be back anytime soon, let alone uh, potentially this entire season. So now all of a sudden, it is uh, it is funny here, Rich, where the uh, like low-key thing, you know, I've been saying as a joke all offseason, end the season, you know, every bit of trend, every move is a good news for Amon Ross St. Brown. But <laughs> here we are with the sun god. Where last year, like down the stretch, it was like, okay, well, can he do this, you know, with Hawkinson and Swift? And he did do it in the first two weeks with those guys out there. I always thought that was, you know, uh, not lazy take, but just a take that wasn't giving enough credit to just how great Amon Ross St. Brown was and still is. But guess what? Now we don't really have to worry about that again because Hawkins is out of the picture and DeAndre Swift. Man, I know he got back to practice today, but that Dan Campbell quote sure doesn't make it sound like mm-hmm. that he's going to be having his full-time role anytime soon. So in this Lions offense, man, it's a Monroe St. Brown, kind of Jamal Williams, and otherwise just man. Yeah, uh, yeah, I love that the, the takedown from Amon Ra all summer was literally like, well, what's he going to do with Hawkinson and Swift? And they're, they're literally <laughs> the same run out now. Hawkinson's off the team and Swift is barely mm-hmm. playing. And yeah, Swift, man, is a bummer because Swift yeah. is – He's all three years. He's looked so good. Anytime he's like been fully healthy and he just can't, he's been snake bit these opening three years. Hopefully we have a run out here where we can enjoy the fruits of, uh, you know, getting him as a full-time player, you know, one day, but I don't think that's probably going to be the rest of the season uh, at this point, which is a real downer. One of the other trades that kind of like, it wasn't high level, but you know, kind of was kind of interesting was that the dolphins rotated their backfield depth. Obviously they include Chase Edmonds in the trade for Bradley Chubb. Then they acquired Jeff Wilson from the 49ers. Now we've seen all these running backs that have gotten traded. James Robinson, Christian McCaffrey, like that first week, they don't really get up to speed. So we're not going to say that like Raheem Mostert's in trouble this weekend, but is Jeff Wilson more of a, a potential thorn for Raheem Mostert? Or do you think that he's just insurance for Raheem Mostert? I think it's definitely an issue because we knew Chase Edmonds was the clear number two back. We had, what, seven weeks of evidence telling us that Mostert was for sure ahead of Chase Edmonds. And now, hey, remember what we were thinking about this backfield before the season? Chase Edmonds was the one that got the money. Chase Edmonds was the week one starter. But a little bit of us had to wonder, could the familiarity of Raheem Mostert with Mike McDaniel lead to you know more usage for him? And I didn't really expect him to take over as clearly as he did. But that happened. And now to bring in Jeff Wilson when you really didn't need to i mean this 
wasn't exactly the most draft capital they could have spent for the guy. I think it was only a fifth round pick or something, but Raheem Mostert is your clear cut RB one miles Gaskin, Salvin Ahmed. I know they're just guys, but they didn't actually have to go out of their way to bring in Wilson. And the fact that they did makes me wonder if they really are fully committed to Mostert as their weekly RB one. Mike McDaniel has been playing with fire with this all season. Mostert is still returning kicks every single week. I don't know why this is happening. I don't know why more people aren't, you know, just incredulous over this, but on the season, man, very similar systems, obviously with Mike McDaniel coming from the 49ers and Wilson has been the better running back in terms of yards per carry and PFF rushing grade. You can give Mostert the nod and some other uh, stats, but, it's close enough that, hey, maybe this is going to be a little bit more of a committee. I don't think that going into the year they planned on Mostert being their lead back like this. Mm-hmm. They obviously didn't in week one. And when you have Chase Edmonds honestly working as one of the worst running backs in all of football, you know, they got tired of really giving him the ball. So I think Mostert's role will be similar. I'm not jumping off the ship on Mostert. You know, definitely start him this week. Dream matchup here against an already pretty bad Bears defense that now took away their best uh, resources in the front seven. So definitely fire up Mostert this week. But it's great news for Jeff Wilson because now he's really cycling. He's looking more like a potential flex with benefits option where I doubt he's going to have too much standalone value. But his handcuff upside now, man, you mentioned it before. I have my running back article every week where for every single team handcuff index and they're now a handcuff one index jeff wilson is one injury away from raheem Mostert to having that same sort of 65 70 percent snap roll and seeing 15 to 20 touches per game so in san francisco with elijah mitchell coming back that was already there and we honestly already saw like what the clear-cut non-cmc lead back looks like in san francisco and it's not as good as other spots because we had debo samuel and kyle juice check doing other things and you know jimmy garoppolo usually being more willing to actually throw over the middle of the field than he is to necessarily check the ball down again when it's not Christian McCaffrey out there. So Jeff Wilson, low key, big time winner, I think from the uh, trade deadline, again, not completely out on Raheem Mostert yet, but anyone that just says like, Oh, it's Jeff Wilson. Don't worry about it. I don't know what they've been watching, man. Jeff Wilson's looked pretty damn good all season. Yeah. I mean, Jeff Wilson uh, in a ton of metrics, you know, uh, success rate out of runs out of 21 personnel, which the dolphins use the most in the NFL. Uh, you know, success rate per carry, rate of runs that go for first down touch. All those things are kind of in his favor. Now, he did that in the 49ers offense, you know, compared to, the you know, going to Miami offense. But, yeah, I definitely think he's kind of a, a, a low-key winner and, and improved his situation, uh, especially now with Elijah Mitchell looming and then obviously yeah. them acquiring Christian McCaffrey, who turns out is still really good at football, <laughs> even though Michael – you know, Kyle Shanahan doesn't throw to his running backs, uh, apparently, uh, is what we were told. But, yeah, funny that how that whole, works out. That whole <laughs> thing, man. Like, okay, I thought it was a I, – I, my running back article, I talked about it. I brought up those stats too. But my argument was like, okay, maybe this is the difference between McCaffrey being like a top five running back mm-hmm. and being like six through ten. Like, we just waste so much time talking about some of these fantastic right. players. And it's like, look, you're starting him. No matter what. So who cares at the end of the day? But it, hey, as, <laughs> as we know now, he's catching passes anyway, so we don't have to worry about it. Uh, one guy we, we were starting or, you know, kind of at least keeping in like that RB2 flex kind of area is Devin Singletary. And it's basically because like whenever the Bills have needed like to go into battle and be in the foxhole in any type of game, he's been the guy they've called upon. He's like when they're backspinning against the wall, it's been Devin Singletary. Um, and now they go out and they acquire – Naheem Hines to potentially fill the satellite role like one what do you think it means for Devin Singletary and two why the hell have the Bills been just pursuing this archetype of running back so heavily like why why it feels like they feel like this is like been the the piece missing in their offense to like take an already a great offense like over the top and uh it's it's very puzzling to me we see them in the 49ers just consistently have elite offenses and they just different running backs cycling in. Then they continue to go out of their way to add these running backs. I could not tell you, Rich, why they are so obsessed with this satellite back idea because they don't throw the football or running backs. They never have with Josh Allen under center. And again, that's fine. That's good. This is one of the best offense. It probably is the best offense in the league. And they've been, you know, in the top three for several years now. So just overall, man, like Josh Allen, he does have this historical tendency we see from a lot of dual threat quarterbacks where he factors into the run game equation near the goal line and he's going to scramble a lot of times instead of checking it down. So you look at it like this season, they've actually thrown the ball a little bit more to their running backs and they're still just 20th overall in terms of goal line chances. They're routinely in the bottom five of the league because of the way Josh Allen plays. 
which is a fantastic way to play football unless you're a running back for the Buffalo Bills. So we could get behind Singletary when he was dominating the snaps, you know, 70, 80% plus of uh, the workload. But now bringing in Naeem Hines, that does throw a wrench into everything. Maybe they're just going to sit James Cook on the bench, but I don't know. He's starting to flash a little bit out there, and they use a second-round pick on him. So I think probably the best answer, unfortunately, is going to be that all three of these guys are going to stay involved, and none of them are going to be overly consistent fantasy options. So, hey, six teams on by, you know, I and having Naeem Hines having to learn the playbook on a short week, I still do have Singletary in my top 20. Mm-hmm. But even then, it's another game where when you start looking at it, the Bills get up by throwing the ball, and then when they get up by a certain amount, they're happy to pull Singletary out and just start giving James Cook, you know, some of the mop-up touches. So having Zach Moss out of the picture really does just establish Singletary as the clear-cut early down back. So I think he'll still see 10 to 12 combined carries and targets per game. And, hey, in the Bills' offense, similar to Pacheco in Kansas City, like if we're going to have that small workload, might as well be in the Chiefs or Bills' offense. So uh, I will say that Singletary someone that, again, when you just look at the – uh, underlying utilization he looks like an rb1 a lot of times with how much he is out there i don't see that happening and coming to fruition really down the road so heinz cook like that's the problem too man like if singletary got hurt i wouldn't really expect either of these guys to necessarily be the lead back i wouldn't be surprised at all if the bills went out and brought in you know Devonte freeman or you know boxer Le'Veon bell just someone to come <laughs> in and take some of the early down work because we have seen you know the hesitation to really give either of those guys that role so yeah this one uh really sucks for all parties involved except Dion jackson baby all of a sudden another handcuff that has a lot more appeal we all saw that overall rb1 finish back in week six for the colts and with the jonathan taylor ankle injury you know looking worse and worse seemingly by the day does seem like Dion jackson low-key someone that should probably be on more fantasy rosters than not yeah, Deion Jackson obviously probably set up this week to to start, you know, if, if it keeps trending in the direction for Jonathan Taylor. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, you know, when you have these situations, you're always looking for like, well, who can we pick up to be like a stash for like the stretch run, right? Because we've been through all these fantasy seasons where, yeah. well, you know, last year it was Rashad Penny. We've seen guys like Tim Hightower, uh, you, know, <laughs> you know, guys, Denard Robinson, you know, guys that just at the tail end of the year get a chance to start a few games and they contribute to fantasy championships. And we're trying to stash those guys on our rosters right now. Uh, so get Deion Jackson now moves up in that role and probably gets a chance to start this week. But the Bills probably don't have that guy, right? Like, you know, now it's a situation, yeah, where if Devin Singletary gets hurt, like what is the next plan of attack? Is it going to be like they haven't trusted James Cook at all? And Naheem Hines has never been an early down player, and he's not one of the good interior runners in the NFL either. It was always one of the weirdest things. When people you know what the answer better. is? Yeah. You know what the Hit answer is? Who's the most three down? down? No, who's the most three-down running back on the Bills right now? He's on their practice squad. Oh, is, it, is Duke still there? Yeah, he is. Oh, baby. Duke Johnson, man. Hey, what do you have? Two, 200-yard games last year? Last year? We talked about the same same thing. Like, you don't know when these guys get called up and you get a chance. Like, you take some shots on some guys. But, yeah, That's I would cool. love to see uh, – the, the Duke get another call up. That would be great. Uh, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, Bill's four rushing touchdowns this year. Uh, one is by a running back, James Cook, on like a 25-yard run. Uh, Josh Allen is the other two, and Isaiah McKenzie is one. Singletary doesn't have a rushing touchdown this year? No, no. He's got one receiving touchdown. I got him uh, down to the uh, one-yard line last week, and then Josh had to be a dick and throw it. Wow, you're right. He's got the one <laughs> receiving touchdown, and that's it. That is crazy, my man. Yeah, that's the other thing with the Bills running backs is they got they play for Lance Arbor. You know, Lance Arbor is getting <laughs> us get, getting his number called down there. Um, you kind of we kind of touched upon too the Colt situation. Uh, if Jonathan Taylor doesn't play this week, and we're now nine weeks halfway through the real football season, well past the halfway point of the fantasy regular season, we're actually approaching fantasy trade deadlines in a lot of regular seasons. Yeah. Um, what do we do with Jonathan Taylor at this point? For a while, he looked like a clear, like, you know, by now with, you know, Matt Ryan's not starting anymore. Like, there's all these different elements in play. His ankle, like, we're, at, we're in the 11th hour now. What are we doing? There's three main problems going on. You mentioned the ankle, and uh, I usually revert to Dr. Edwin Porras, who we're both in a fantasy league with. Great guy, does awesome work over at Fantasy Points. And the Minnesota Twins, I guess, like Edwin just still finding time for us fantasy losers despite having all these <laughs> real-life problems. Always appreciate the guy. And this is actually from Edwin at FB Injury Doc on Twitter talking about Jonathan Taylor. From Edwin, lateral sprains are tough, but rehab rest bracing can help guys play through it. He may not miss any time at all. The flip side is he might look like late season Saquon 
from last season. So that's one concern with Jonathan Taylor. He hasn't looked like the same guy. We haven't seen the same mm-hmm. explosiveness, tackle breaking ability, all that really since week one, which is only game, a uh, really good game of the season. There's also the scoring opportunities. And I know that Taylor helps create some of those in his own right, but it, you can't completely blame him for this entire drop off. The Colts ranked ninth in scoring last year. This year, they're 30th. Taylor had a league high 26 carries inside the five yard line last year. This year, he has four. So he just hasn't had the same opportunities to really punch the ball into the end zone like last year when I believe those 26 carries were like more than 20 plus teams in the NFL even had combined. And the third, you know, picture third part of the puzzle that just doesn't get really any sort of uh you know rub is the fact this offensive line reputation be damned has become really a shell of his former self i mean you know we haven't seen have him getting those quentin nelson highlight clips the same you know frequency as we used to be getting even a year or two ago and you just start looking at it man 1.1 yards before contact for a 10th that's 25th and the 30th ranked offensive line and pff team at run blocking grade previously under frank reich they ranked ninth third second and second in the first four seasons there so taylor himself is hurt not playing as well the offense isn't scoring as much and the offensive line really objectively sucks so far this year so if he's going to see his, you know, playing time limited, that could be a serious problem because let's face it, Jonathan Taylor, even last year, had more of a Joe Mixon, Antonio Gibson-esque role than we mm-hmm. were kind of willing to admit. He would catch the passes, but the guy was living on super sane efficiency as a rusher, and I don't have much reason to believe that is coming back. So I don't know if RB2 territory is as low as we're going to dump him, but really, like, what's the big difference between Jonathan Taylor and Damian Pierce at this point? in the season i don't see all that much because unfortunately the assumptions about the offensive line and just the overall scoring ability of this offense they're out the window at this point yeah and you combine too we we love our running backs that don't catch a ton of passes like he doesn't i mean at least playing positive game script the colts have led for six plays in the second (laughs) half this year five came last week (laughs) so i mean it's really tough man yeah the lowest fewest in the nfl really tough to be a running back and be good for fantasy football when your team is just that bad and that's kind of you know been another thing to throw on the another log to throw on this fire i looked at all the regression stuff for jonathan taylor and like I, I knew it was coming, but I still was just handling him like I was like, this dude just looks like the new Adrian Peterson, right? Like so I like kind of ignored all of it. Like in man, it's all hit at once. Just been a, well, a final wave. Look, I was on the McCaffrey over Taylor 101, but guess where I had Taylor? RB2. Yeah. Like, it wasn't like anyone was actually fading the guy or anything like that. So, yeah, it has been – Um, what was the stat? I believe Priest Holmes in 03, 04 was the last running back to repeat yeah, as the overall RB1. And nobody has even gotten it twice since then, like not even consecutive years, just period. No one has gotten it twice since then. But plenty of examples of these guys, you know, finishing RB2, RB3, RB5 mm-hmm. or something the next year. So – what a drop off from Taylor. I mean, look at last week, Christian McCaffrey in those three touchdowns, 40.3 PPR points. Taylor has 43.8 PPR <laughs> points since week two. Like it just hasn't even been close with these guys lately. And again, it's not all on Taylor. I really, I mean, I, I don't know, Rich. We're already seeing some people talk about like 2023 drafts and stuff like that. Look, he's going to be a top three RB in that. They're hopefully, gonna, they're definitely going to have another quarterback out there for like the sixth straight year. So it's unfortunate. Um, I guess credit to, you know, I will say, member from Frank Reich told us to draft Naeem Hines. In yeah. Fantasy. He knew this was, he knew they were going to trade him. I guess so. He was trying to do us a solid son to a uh, Buffalo, but come wait on, till week Frank. nine. It's just like how many uh, how many times does Frank Reich and Chris Ballard get to blame their problems on uh, someone else? I, I I don't know, man. Yeah, I wonder if we're gonna start having like the curse of the the RB one curse. Uh, the because you know so, uh, now some people did take Christian McCaffrey, like you said, ahead of of Jonathan Taylor, but he was the consensus RB one in ADP. Yep. Um, and we have to go. I, my ADP data goes back to twenty ten and. We've never had the RB1 finished as the RB1 in that span in ADP. Uh, and the highest, they've, we only had three of those guys finish third or higher. So I wonder if like it's going to be like this just big bugaboo, this big stigma um, of, of the RB1. Not have, you done any, um, have you done any analysis on that soon? Because I know quarterbacks <laughs> specifically, I, I looked at it. I think JJ mm-hmm. uh, Zacharyson did some good work too, just showing that we have gotten better. Like the ADPs. You know, the number of quarterbacks in the ADP top 12 and then the final season top 12 have gotten sharper by the year. I would assume we're probably the worst at doing it in running back, even compared to wide receiver and tight end. I I did a a, a whole series on this this season at Sharp Football, and it actually might surprise you. Wide receiver is by far the worst we're at. 
we actually wow. have been we've actually been trending like we're good at top down we're good at running backs like we're good at diagnosing like who the the guy the bell cow running backs are right it doesn't always work out like jonathan taylor hasn't worked out but you look at the rest of these rb1s i know two weeks in everyone was freaking the hell out <laughs> but you look at like it's stabilized like all these guys have been the best fantasy backs like at the top like okay. josh jacobs is like the one guy that's like yeah. in the middle of the draft that's like absolutely smashed but like everyone else has kind of kind of fallen into place right along the way you know the austin ecklers the cmc's you know i know mixon's not getting there but like you know uh it has worked out yeah wide receiver has been a little more volatile but one of the things I was looking at wide receiver this summer that has played out that I was that really freaked me out is I thought there was like a very short tier of elite wide receivers. And like, you know, I was like, man, I, I really just kind of want to get one of these like five to six guys because it just opens that like the doors just open wide up after yeah. that. Like, and uh, that kind of has been true. Like those guys have been kind of like a mini tier themselves, you know, cup Jefferson Diggs, uh, mm-hmm. Tyreek and Devonte Adams. Like, so if you did go anchor with those guys, then, you know, you probably still are all right. But uh, everyone outside of the Jonathan Taylor teams are probably still doing okay in the yeah. early rounds. <laughs> Hope so, man. It is funny looking back at some of these draft strategies and it becomes like, Oh, this was the year for zero RB. And then I look yeah, at you know, it's all great. Hindsight's all there. And the one thing that kills you with zero RB, it's the assumption that like, you're going to be, like the non-zero RB teams are also going for these awesome waiver wire running backs down the stretch too. I'm in this uh, PFF company league. I don't know who the hell set this shit up, Rich, but it's uh, no fab, no fab in the year 2022. So imagine that, you know, you're sitting there just in dire need of uh, getting Kenneth Walker and, oh yeah, the higher team has a higher waiver priority uh, of you. So you are basically shit out of luck. So, you know, pick yeah. the best priority. Archaic, archaic system here. <laughs> Yeah, we don't want to do that at all. Uh, I'm in one league that they've been doing it. And it's, you know, they've been doing it for 20 years, so they just aren't <laughs> going to change their ways. But it resets every week, the waiver wire by order. No. So, like, so, like, the consistent worst team is, like, always has, like, the earliest run at, like, picks. And it's just the, the worst thing ever. Rewarding but, uh, mediocrity. Could, couldn't be me. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, listen, we, we have six teams on by. It's our largest bye week of the season. Is there anything special you do in a week like this? comes around do you try to you know aggressively try to make some trades for some teams that maybe can't feel the full lineup this week or they're going into the bag like can you use like a a week like this to your to your advantage at all I do think uh, if your team's not being hit too hard on the buys, you can start to look a little bit ahead. But honestly, probably not that much. I'm in too many damn leagues, man, to be <laughs> going through a lot of this trade stuff. That's the only part. I mean, I think I got 22 I need to like actively set the lineups for. And I'm sure creator life. Oh, man. Yeah, it's like, you know, you fi- I, I finish uh, my stuff at like 8 p.m. on uh, Wednesdays. Usually it's like, all right, got these two hours. I'm running on fumes right now. Do I want to go analyze everyone's team and figure out the optimal <laughs> trade and all this? And the answer is usually uh, no. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm doing it for all the uh, all the subscribers out there, doing it for everyone watching me. I'm hoping that my uh, fantasy teams can, 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 can make do being, you know, not always the apple of my eye out there. So I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. But personally, just haven't, <laughs> I haven't found a ton of extra time time to go get on the uh, trade streets yeah yeah i hear that man yeah content creation life is different when you're playing in leagues especially multiple leagues you're trying to best ball man i'm i'm seeing the best ball light more than ever it's Ah. just like you draft it's fun (laughs) then you're done then you can look a couple times throughout the year and if the teams are bad you're like well i mean that was just variance if they're good you're like (laughs) alive uh yeah yeah you know I, th- I do think it's interesting this week with the teams they're on trade uh you know uh on by you know if you can pull out some some trades because like obviously no one's going to give you saquon barkley but you know some fringe guys like you brought up the steelers guys right like deontay johnson and george pickens might come back into a better situation post by uh being able to trade for you know one of those guys these are guys are not going to cost you like elite equity like in and someone like uh Jalen warren who a lot of teams you know maybe have been stashing but they had to cut him because they had to get field starting lineup or something right. and obviously he's not giving them anything so Jalen warren uh, i know the buccaneers are playing but Jalen warren rashad white some of these guys where we've been talking about him you know week after week on the waiver water pods but Truly, not every handcuff is created equal. And we see with mm-hmm. the Pittsburgh Steelers, really, over the past decade, even regardless of the offensive coordinator, they are willing to give their lead running back that full-time role. So Najee Harris, you know, how healthy really is he coming back from that foot? Look, this Steelers team, man, I know they use the first-round pick on him, and Mike Tomlin isn't really the quitting type, but, but would it be the most shocking thing ever if they still have, like, two wins in Week 14, Najee gets a little banged up again? Hey, man, 
Shut it down. We'll see you next year. It's all good. Yeah, now, Jalen Warren, go out there and win some people some fantasy championships. So I would say uh, Jalen Warren out there, if you see him, and he's, I think, only 3% owned or something in ESPN leagues. Now, of course, if I'm in 10 ESPN leagues, I'm in somehow in those 3% that <laughs> everyone seems to already have the guy. But Jalen Warren continually uh, stands out as one of the top handcuff running backs. That's far more available than guys you know like Pollard, Madison, uh, and those types. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I assume that people that are like consuming like our content are already like like Jalen Warren's already been on their radar. But yeah, he's like, but you 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 bring up a great point though that he could have just been a, a roster casually just to yep. field uh, a team. Uh, I would say Dalton Schultz too is another guy I think has a ch- shot to finish really strong. He's been kind of a a wasteland player this year, but when you look at his games with Dak Prescott, he's been highly targeted. And if he just gets another week to get healthier, um, tight end, listen, it's tight end. We're just trying to find some bodies, baby. If you're getting targets, uh, Evan Ingram's back in our hearts. So, uh, you know, but I do think Dalton Schultz is an interesting guy too, as well. Uh, with that bye week and, you know, we've got a lot of musical chairs this week in lineups. It does make it fun. You know, I've definitely set uh, a few guys uh, into the lineups that I typically wouldn't. Uh, who Who is your favorite QB streamer of the week this week? If he's out there, I mean, I just think we got to keep going back to Justin Fields. Well, man, this rushing is literally on par with Lamar Jackson. He hasn't quite been as efficient, but I think Lamar has 78 carries this year and Fields at like 76. I mean, and the passing offense hasn't been great, but at least they're flirting with 200 yards instead of 100 like it was the first four (laughs) weeks of the year. So again, Fields, he really did this last year, man. It was about a month straight of him really not playing well at all in fantasy and real life, and everyone kind of gave up on him. And now you look up four straight weeks with top 12 finishes. Is again very similar to what happened last year and another offense that didn't have many weapons or good things to really speak of going on there so this week in particular you know bears dolphins uh i always got to open this up with with uh you know the fact rich that i am not a long-term historical you know winning gambler so with that in mind i will say that over under opening up at you know 44 and a half or something just seems a bit low for a Dolphins team, it looks like they can rack up, you know, 30 plus points on anybody when two is under center and a Bears team that, you know, had plenty of opportunities to, I think, roll over and lose by 40 against the Cowboys last week. And you look up and they've managed to claw their way, I believe, to 28 points out there. So, Fields in this offense approaching average, and that's all we need when their defense is terrible. So similar things going on in uh, these bad, you know, not bad offenses, but offenses we've seen kind of overcome expectations like in Seattle, in Atlanta, in Detroit, when you have an okay offense, but they're paired with a terrible defense that forces them to keep their foot on the gas. That is how you get the most fantasy friendly group out there. And on the other side of things, you see a team like the Cowboys where Dak doesn't need to throw the ball 30 times a game when you got Micah Parsons and company just wreaking havoc play after play after play. So ideally, you know, we get these guys like Fields and they have not only the uh, fantasy friendly dual threat workload we're looking for, but they're getting opportunity after opportunity because the defense can't stop anybody. Yeah, I mean, you look at Justin Fields, I mean, he's only the past month. He's averaging 11.3 passing points per game. Like that's all we need from like yeah. the, that's how you like the, the Konami code goes into play, right? Like you, you can't be given a zero. It's like the first four weeks he had 18 total passing points. <laughs> Jesus. Um, and that's not going to get it done, man. But if you can give us, if you can flirt with double digit passing points, we already know we're working with five plus rushing points per week. There's and- only five <laughs> quarterbacks that have at least six plus rushing points per game. Pure yeah. fantasy. Josh Allen's at 6.1. Daniel Jones, 6.8. Justin Fields, 7.6. Lamar at 8.4. And Jalen Hurts at 9.5 because mm-hmm. he's an alien. I'm waiting for the Eagles just to QB sneak 70 yards down the field. One play <laughs> after another, Hurts with Dallas Goddard just shoving him. I feel like it worked, man. That thing is unstoppable. Yeah, I just, I'm just waiting for one game to the Eagles have to play in the second half, and I don't oh think my we'll God. see it tonight. I mean, this is this will come on Friday, but we're recording this Thursday. Isn't it yeah, funny I, how this is reversed? Because last year, Hurts was like the poster child. For yes. like, yeah, it was yeah. right to the fourth quarter, then he's going to get going. This year, he's not barely even playing in the fourth quarter. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. We got Kyler Murray now this year. As the yeah, guy. We, just wait. we just wait for the fourth quarter to come for Kyler. Uh, get us there, uh, come on, Kyler. <laughs> tight ends even worse than quarterback because we've got you know Pat Fryermuth on by. We've got uh, my guy Indigo Mantoya, Greg Dulcich on by, Schultz who I brought up, uh, Njoku was still hurt. Kittle's on by. Uh, I got to reach into the tight end well though. I've got to start a guy. Who you got for me? Oh man, hey, Taysom, right? It's always got to be Taysom out there. And someone uh, has available, him. Probably hasn't. <laughs> uh, I picked up Gerald Everett in a 10 team league. He should be owned everywhere, bro. Oh, it yeah. gets it gets rough in a hurry. I think you said him earlier, probably Evan Ingram out there. He really has consistently been one of the top guys in Jacksonville. And they just use him like another wide receiver. I mean, Zay Jones had the highest route rate last week, but Ingram, I think, was at like 92%, which for a tight end, man, like we'll take 70, 80% if we can get there. So to see Ingram that high really was good 
good news. We just need this Jaguars offense to really get a decent version of Trevor Lawrence because for most of the season, like blame Urban Meyer all you want, but he's been really bad, really outside of weeks two and three. PFF passing grade other than weeks two and three, he's finished 17th or worse in every single game this season. And again, you pull up the metrics for the whole year. And I'm sure, you know, we have our truthers out there that, you know, oh, okay, straight dropbacks with the score between seven, you know, in the first <laughs> three quarters of the game. Look, he's an elite quarterback. And okay, that's fine. We see the flashes out there, but we really just need to see him try to be a more complete quarterback over the course of an entire game. He's going to have to with some of these matchups they have coming up. That said, a lot of these teams don't have the, you know, most pristine secondary. So I actually yesterday took every uh, position groups and schedule weeks nine through 14 so right up until the fantasy playoffs and looked at who has the coziest schedules and the jaguars wide receivers mm -hmm. and tight ends were top three they get the raiders uh this week and then they get the chiefs a bye and the ravens lions and titans going into the fantasy playoffs so i do think man we've seen it's only been a little bit but we've seen guys like christian kirk zay jones and even evan ingram supply some nice pops here and there God forbid Lawrence starts looking like the guy that he's supposed to be down the stretch, maybe after that week 11 bye. I wouldn't be surprised at all if we do see, you know, some of those league winner types coming out of a Jaguars offense that is going to have to keep their foot on the gas, hopefully in a more efficient manner against some reasonable defenses I think they can beat. Yeah, the, the Jaguars are one of these teams that just it just they haven't been able to close games. They haven't been able to win these close games, but like they're playing like top down a lot better football than I think the public, yep. you know, gives them credit for. I had the note in the, the worksheet I tweeted it out to you. Uh, Trevor Lawrence is sixth in EPA per drop back outside of the red zone. There he's we go. Dead last. <laughs> he's dead last in EPA per drop back in the red zone. Raiders are a good cure all. You bring up the the schedule that they have upcoming. Uh, I still think Trevor Lawrence can run into some, some QB one weeks here down the rest of the season. And if he's doing that, then the passing guys are going to come along for the ride as well. I love that. Now I know we're recording this Thursday afternoon. You might not have set all your lineups this week, uh, but across your research that you've done this week, preparing for this week, has anyone kind of stood out um, that, you know, typically wouldn't be like a starter and like a full week that you're saying like, yeah, well, I guess this week, this guy uh, could pop this week. I am a lot more confident in Rondale Moore having more good games than bad games here moving forward because they want him to be that full-time slot receiver. And that's the role that we were drafting him. At least I was drafting him everywhere to try to get uh, before a season. And obviously the hamstring injury slowed things down, but he's now played five games. And in week four and week seven, his slot rates were only 26 and 14% mm -hmm. because AJ Green, AJ Green was out. Robbie Anderson wasn't on the team and he had just gotten traded. So he wasn't really a factor. The other three games where he actually has in their full-time slot receiver seven catches six catches and seven catches and last week we actually started to see some of those explosive plays come to fruition uh with those opportunities so in this offense man we'll see if and when marquise brown is going to be back in the picture but what's been so frustrating and you brought it up before uh, about the you know kyla murray in the fourth quarter uh <laughs> experience that's what's been so frustrating about this cardinals offense because it's not like they just sucked all game throughout the season they're actually Third worst offense in the league. Actually, it might be dead last. I, I updated these numbers this week. But bottom three offense in the league and EPA per play in the first half. And then all of a sudden, they become a top three offense in the second half. So when you have a team like that, that all of a sudden gets a healthy and rejuvenated, apparently, version of DeAndre Hopkins back in the picture. And you have a healthy version of Rondeo Moore. I don't think we necessarily gave Kyler enough credit for playing with a really banged up offense in those first six, seven weeks of the season. Even Zach Ertz was someone, you know, week one, he was on a snap count game time decision i mean it's like greg dorch is out there getting the most targets and we're saying come on kyler what the hell man it's like well you know it's uh we've seen this happen with all quarterbacks tom brady you know yeah. really has been struggling all year but when you took away those wide receivers yeah you're not gonna have anything you know what quarterback is good without any of their wide receivers uh maybe patrick mahomes and that is about it so i do think rondale more working out of the slot full time we're gonna get these full ppr just induced stat lines where you look up at the end maybe you're not overly impressed by it and the guy's sitting there at 14 15 points so i will take rondale more with that full-time role otherwise you know it's just hopefully playing some of the injury games josh palmer with the chargers you know obviously set up great against the falcons league worst passing defense i will say curtis samuel even though we have the yeah. terry even though we have the terry mclaurin ascension you know coming back with uh taylor honicky under center they found a way to get curtis nine carries over the past two weeks and 
JD McKissick, I believe uh, we haven't gotten his Thursday practice information yet, but didn't practice on Wednesday with that neck injury. And as much as, you know, Antonio Gibson truthers would love to think that no uh, JD McKissick is going to mean more Gibson and deservedly. So, I mean, Gibson low key has been a fantastic receiver all season, top three in PFF receiving grade and yards per route run. But Curtis Samuel has consistently been there kind of low a dot target hog in that offense. So this could be a week where I think Curtis similar to Rondale, you look up at the end and you see 10 or 12, combined carries and targets and pretty hard to bust in that sort of volume in full PPR. I, I love the Curtis Samuel call, uh, you know, and I love tacking on the absence of GD McKissick to potentially hating him too. Uh, he, he leads the team in, in targets per route and, and targets against zone coverage, which the Vikings run the second most, uh, nice. you know, in the NFL, you know, that Ed Donatella going over there, you know, that Vic Fangio scheme. Uh, so, I mean, I do think it is a game because obviously McLaurin's had the two sexy games in a row. He's made the huge plays. Um, but yeah, it could be a situation where we chase a little bit. He could, Curtis Samuel could slide under the radar because he hasn't scored since week two. Uh, but he's, the usage has still been there. And uh, we might be able to get him back in the box this week against all that the zone heavy bike. Uh, I like that one. We just got news, Rich. Michael Thomas, toe surgery, IR. Oh, really? So, yeah. To, so I was wondering, like, well, one, I always wonder why he never went on IR anyways. I don't know. And, Man, uh, he was good. He scored three touchdowns the first two games. The process was right, Rich. The process was right. Ugh. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that probably you'll see a lot of victory laps. Good thing we're recording this because we'll probably see a lot of victory laps oh, of yeah. like why you, this is why you didn't shouldn't have taken him, and those people will win out. But he did have the two touchdowns the opening two games. We'll always have those. I think he had three. Man. Yeah, three. He had two, yeah, I'm sorry. He had two week thing. one and then one week two. Yeah, you're right. Um, uh, but it does just open up, you know, for Chris Olave to keep smashing the rest of the season, you know, a guy yeah, that, true. you know, we were, we were all in on, uh, you know, the season, you know, I was really, I did a really good job this year on my avoids, like, but like the guys I was bullish on have not worked out as well. Like I was high on Russell Wilson and uh, that clearly hasn't worked out. And uh, <laughs> that, not at all. And I was high on Allen Robinson too, you know, going to the Rams did, that definitely has not worked out. But one of the bullish guys I was on was Chris Olave. So thank yeah. goodness. Like he's at least holding some of my water. Uh, <laughs> made one of my good calls there. Like, but it's been a weird year where, yeah, like most of my good calls have been like the stayaways. Um, I remember looking at, um, <laughs> I looked at my best ball exposure, like maybe in July or something after like 50 or so drafts. And I had Alave and Terry McLaurin as my top two uh, highest owned wide receivers. And I had to really like step back because obviously I'm an Ohio State diehard. And I was like, hey, man, a lot of money on the line here. Let's not let that, uh, you know, scarlet and gray blood going through my veins, you know, completely influence everything. But <laughs> with Alave, you know, I thought Jameis was going to be under center more often. And just that from that virtue, like we'd be seeing Alave being the field stretcher and just being this great boomer bus wide receiver kind of made fantasy. And he kind of struck me a little bit as like this year's Jalen Waddle, where you had a top 12 pick that people were just kind of finding reasons not to like. And he, when he's going as like a borderline wide receiver four, it's just like, I'll take a shot on that upside. So the fact that Lave has been this good, even with the quarterback change has surprised me, obviously having Thomas and Jarvis Landry out has helped matters. But mm -hmm. man, I looked this up yesterday. Most yards per out run, among rookie wide receivers, minimum 50 targets since 2015. A.J. Brown, number one. Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase. And in fourth place, Chris Alave, narrowly ahead of Tyreek Hill. So I, uh, I'm old enough to remember everyone talking about how Alave couldn't break tackles and how that was this big problem out there. I mean, your uh, uh, boss man, Warren Sharp, had, had the cool video he was sending out there about Tyler Lockett's, you know, quest like to pretty much never even be in a situation where he has to even consider uh, <laughs> forcing a broken tackle. So I don't know, man. It's just one of those stats where I do think in tackles force it's another thing that i think it's more stylistic than something that we should necessarily be using as like this uh overall test if the player's really good at football or not i mean was chris Olave not breaking tackles because he finished you know in the end zone on the end of a receiving touchdown more times than any player in ohio yeah. state history like maybe that had a little bit to do with it so i don't know <laughs> man getting out of bounds going back in and breaking two tackles it's it's one of those stats uh, and i i love the it adds context to a player. And that's the goal at the end of the day. We want to, we want to be able to quantify what we're seeing with our eyes. So, you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and shit on my employer. I appreciate big time throws for quarterbacks and missed tackles for us for running backs because there are things we talk about and our ability to better quantify that is fantastic. That said, I do think sometimes, you know, guys, uh, the, the running backs in the world, like do you see the uh, Lendale White, Chris Johnson conversation yeah. talking about Zeke yep. and Pollard? Like that's a big thing with it. And Lendale yeah, was course. bringing up good points and I think they had a good conversation uh, about it so we are able to add context with those things i remember uh when i was looking at montgomery versus khalil herbert like okay i was like hold on 
higher yards uh, after contact for Khalil. What is it, though, if we do like percentage of carries with at least two yards after contact to remove some of the fluky-ish big plays? Oh, they were pretty close. Who faces uh, more higher percentage of carries with at least eight defenders in the box? Oh, okay, Khalil actually has more carries in those situations. At that point, I'm more okay looking at the backup running backs, heightened yards per carry, and be like, okay, yeah, maybe he actually is the better option. But sometimes I feel like, you know, it's like we're watching a basketball game and a guy is shooting 50% from three on four attempts per game. And we're like, Oh yeah, he's better than Steph Curry. Just look at the, <laughs> look at the yards for carry. Like how could right. it possibly be anything else? So a little bit more nuanced to the, to the table, but uh, yeah, I'm not sure how I got to that off of uh Chris Olave talk. That's all right though. There we are. <laughs> that, that you're speaking my language. That's the stuff I dig into. I'm all into, you know, you're, you do the show with Dwayne and I'm, I'm a lot like, I'm, I'm looking at player archetypes and player usage, like situational usage. How do, these like high yards for carry happens right and it's that 100 like glendale nailed it um yeah i mean it, it, in this that that situation actually is a little bit different because you know tony pollard's been so good anytime they've yeah. extended his work is the is the other part of it and that people just want to see him on the field more but it's hard to fault dallas's usage of their running backs because they've been yeah. successful like you know and i de- i definitely am not in the camp that thinks zeke's a bad player either so um it's it's a bummer we've gotten to that point for it i was gonna throw you a wild card that wasn't i don't pre-plan or anything uh, because i know you are a huge ohio state guy and you're uh in in uh, in on these ohio state wide receivers they're threatening lsu to be the new wide receiver you um coming into this year jackson smith and jigma was like the like dynasty darling he's been banged up all year he's hurt and now marvin harrison jr is absolutely going nuclear uh dynasty you can only have one don't, you can't tell me both guys are going to be good. you got to pick one. Who has the better fantasy career? Oh, Mar- Marvin versus Jay. I think it's Marvin Harrison Jr. Yeah. easily, man. I don't think it's that much of a conversation. I mean, Jackson was always going to have a tough – Tough time, I think, being that top 10 pick, a lot of people were just assuming he was going to be because he doesn't have really the size or speed that you usually mm-hmm. see guys getting uh, into the top 10 with. And look, I mean, I, again, I obviously love these guys and we're nitpicking here between two great players. But when Jackson Smith and Jigba's defining game is like going bonkers against a Utah secondary that literally had like to start a running back at corner. I mean, I don't know, man. Like there's a reason why uh, there's a reason why he was able to force Jamison Williams to go transfer to Alabama. So clearly the guy's a first round talent out there but i think if you watch alave garrett you know marvin harrison jr and jackson smith and the jigba if you watch those highlights the one guy that you're going to see a lot more i think great stroud throws and necessarily great being wide open or you know just being a monster at the catch point or whatever i do think jsm probably the guy benefiting a little bit more from that so Hey, very productive receiver. Get healthy, man. Please just come back against Michigan. That's all we need. You come back against Michigan. Let's go take down a uh, big blue this year in the horseshoe after they cowered out of fear back in uh, 2020. So uh, Marvin Harrison Jr., bro, I think Joel Klatt said it uh, in one of these last couple broadcasts. Like he could very well just be the best wide receiver alive here in three or four years. So again, not a, not, not a detriment to JSN. I think you could ask me that question. Marvin Harrison Jr. or any other wide receiver in America playing college football right now, I'd probably still go with Marvin. Yeah, I, I, I'm agreeing. Just from, from an archetypical stance, like he just looks like that dude. Like this yeah. is this is the guy. This is what you buy as a receiver. When we're making wide receivers, <laughs> this is what we're doing. Well, he was uh, second on a uh, Bruce Feldman's like freak list going into the year. Like it's he obviously knows a thing or two about route running from dad and all that. So you add that on, like he's a six four, like two twenty yeah. Marvin Harrison. Yeah, he ain't built like his dad. He's no. not built like his dad for sure. Like. <laughs> And Marv was excellent at his size. So, like, oh, if you could, get, if if Marv can channel what he was doing at his size into a, a guy that's built like Julio Jones, <laughs> bro, and Marvin, like, I, I'll take some time every year and really, uh, you know, do like a wide receiver king article in the offseason, like go back over time. I understand there's some off the field stuff, which is why Marvin Harrison doesn't necessarily always get, you know, put in the Randy Moss discussion, but. My goodness, it's impossible to go back the last 25. Like, if you do go back over the last 25, 30 years and try to pick like the most productive or best wide receiver from every season, I think Marvin Harrison has more of those seasons than any other guy out there. So, firmly, uh, firmly in the bloodlines there. Uh, let's let's go, Marvin Harrison Jr. Go get that natty that uh, your dad could never get. Yeah, I mean, he, he Marvin Harrison Jr. And uh, you know, you look at probably like you said, like from like 2000 on, and I guess you know, he was probably brushing right against that. Marv was, but like, you know. Him and Antonio Brown had those stretches where they five, six years in a row where you're catching 100 balls and you're scoring your 1,500 yards, like, and you're just 
churning out wide receiver one after wide oh. receiver one fantasy season. Uh, you couldn't go wrong. Jerry Rice, the you know Jerry Rice level of production. You know, um, AB pretty much tarnished anything any shot he has of like probably getting into the Hall of Fame. But uh, really, though, no. that's the annoying thing. Like with AB, like I okay, I saw the. <laughs> there's some stuff that he's done off the field that has been in question and all that, but I, I hate when because <laughs> let's face it. Also, I think the majority of stuff is him being a bit of a looney tune and, you know, just really not being a good teammate and doing this and doing that. So I, I just, it sucks when, and they're better example, like a Johnny Menzel type, you know, there are some guys where yeah. they party, they throw their career away and there's, I'm not debating that, but I hate that we only have one, category of off the field issues uh, for stuff like this you can have drug cheats like actual physical abusers and guys that just like you know partying too hard like those all get thrown into the same Mm -hmm. category sometimes so i don't know man like how can you tell the history of football without antonio brown in the hall of fame put an asterisk on it explain all the bad shit that he did in there but i mean i don't know it's football man it's not like who's the best football player and also the best person so i I don't know. Maybe that's a bad take out there, but I feel like, you know, baseball as well. Like you're really going to tell me that like Barry Bonds has no place in Cooperstown right, because, yeah. because he watched a lot of guys that couldn't hold his jock strap all of a sudden, like start hitting more home runs than him. And Barry's like, Oh yeah, watch this everyone. See what happens when the best player starts taking uh, all the steroids money can buy as well. So I, I think a hall of fame's job should be to tell the history of the game, not be the, um, not be the morality police out there. So yeah. Put an asterisk there. Bring it up. Uh, you know, list their accomplishments and then list all the bad things about them too, if you want to. But again, your job is to tell the history of the game, and you need those players in there to do it. Yeah, I, I don't know if anyone had a better like age twenty five to thirty career than Antonio Brown. It's, it's he was on the rice pace. Like it's, it's pretty, not a joke. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy what he did over that stretch. All right, before I get you out of here, uh, got to talk at least a little bit of the, the the look ahead here for Week Nine. What we're expect to see happen on Sunday? Uh, is, is there a game you're looking at that you know maybe you don't see get brought up? Did you say like you know I'm pretty excited about this game from a fantasy perspective? Let's see. I mentioned the. Uh... Bears and Dolphins, that's just a game that I feel like the over-under should be a lot closer to like 50, and it has been moving up throughout the week, opened at 42, up to 45 and a half, so maybe there's uh, some weather shenanigans going on that I just haven't looked at uh, just yet, so I'll see what Kevin Roth, you know, what, what color he's <laughs> given it here in the next day or so. Um Maybe this Chargers team can finally force the Falcons to throw the ball a little bit. I mean, right now, this is, the, of course, the most run-heavy offense since Rex Ryan's 2009 New York Jets. So, again, Drake London continues to look awfully good out there. I know it's been a while, but, hey, it was a while for Kyle Pitts as well, and he finally made it happen last week. So, Drake London potential bounce-back week against that Chargers secondary that obviously not playing at full health, but even when they were and weren't necessarily uh, this big-time group to fear as well. So, I guess the only other point would be, like, we got two offenses, Rams and Buccaneers, and we're just waiting for something to happen. And man, maybe this could finally be the week because at this point, especially for Tampa Bay, I just don't know what else needs to happen. The Rams and the Packers, we can kind of see the underlying problems there. But with Tampa Bay, man, like I just refuse to believe that a little bit more like interior offensive line pressure is the reason why this team has scored more than 22 points one time this entire season like it's just been such a fall from grace and yeah losing ryan jensen having ali more uh, uh, retire it's not ideal by any stretch of the imagination but to go from offensive juggernaut to again just this mediocre group they've been the throws have been there brady's arm is mm-hmm. not washed like you can go watch the film over the past two weeks and you're gonna see oh, that throw he threw to evans man uh yeah you see the all 22 of that were you know he threw it like basically tr- all threw him open in triple coverage yeah. Uh, third and long. Just absolutely insane. Uh, I'm with you. I mean, the, the plays have been there. They're getting to the red zone. There's not finishing drives. Um, you saw like last week again, they, I mean, they could have been ahead on the Ravens, you know, 17, 20, 20 points in the first half. I mean, Brady has Mike Evans for a wide open touchdown. The least like, later, like yeah, Ru- just, Rudolph uh, had a touchdown nullified again. The chances are there. I really don't think we're looking at 2015 Peyton or 2020 Drew Brees where the arm strength just isn't there. You brought up that yeah. incredible throw he made. So, uh, yeah, obviously Brady has a lot on his mind, you know, going through everything he's going through. So maybe that's a reasonable, uh, you know, verdict with it as well, but still a wide open NFC South and again, healthy versions of Evans, Chris Goblin. I looked at it since week four and there's a little bit of bye week fuckery going on here. So 
if you can just get that, uh, <laughs> if you can get past that thing, Chris Godwin, second in the NFL in targets behind only Tyreek Hill since week four. And Mike Evans is tied for third. I mean, we have mm-hmm. banged up Julio, banged up Russell Gage. None of the tight ends have coming in an equal Gronk. Like Evans and Godwin down the stretch should be blowing up on a weekly basis. They're both seeing basically double digit targets per game. If Brady can just get back to not even being goat tier status, Tom Brady, be like 80% of that guy at this point. And I think both those dudes could be honestly blowing up some fantasy games down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, uh, Godwin's definitely we're looking for him to get going. Uh, he's, the targets have been there, though. And you're right, because the target tree is it's really condensed, and we yeah. thought it might be spread out. Uh, and I don't really see, like, a situation where, like, Julio or Russell Gage really push for targets the rest of the way out either. I mean, they're going to be pretty cautious with Julio, I think, the rest of the season um, and, and try to keep him to where at least he can contribute, you know, snaps on the field. Uh, yeah, um, you brought up the Packers. Uh, they play the Lions, who have kind of been, like, the fantasy elixir, right? Like, yeah. is is that holding? Does that give you a little more confidence in these guys this week? Are you streaming Aaron Rodgers? Obviously, you're going to play Aaron Jones, but it's a thin week. You might have to play A.J. Dillon in some leagues. Are you feeling like you, you can do that against the Lions? Might have to. I have a couple of rosters out there, so you know, never say never. As uh, we've learned, when you get the fourteen team, you know, three flex type of leagues uh, going on like that. But if this isn't the week, I don't know when the hell it's going to be. They did flash a little bit against the Bills. I mean, Aaron Jones, like we talk about the things, mm-hmm. Kenneth Walker and Damian Pierce and guys like that have done on the ground. Jonesy is right up there with anybody in terms of his ability to break tackles and yards after contact. And I know I kind of shat on some of those uh, metrics here just a little bit ago, but you see it when he's out there, man. Just his ability to constantly make dudes miss in space and they have finally really started to turn this backfield more over to Jones at least in terms of the passing game I mean before that Washington game Jones only Jones had 23 targets and Dylan had 20 like come on I'm not saying Dylan can't catch a pass here or there but I've always uh, assumed and mm-hmm. not assumed I've always just considered Aaron Jones to be much closer to you know the Austin Ecklers and the Alvin Kamara's and the Christian McCaffrey's of the world than an average uh, pass catching running back and we all thought he'd pretty much be the number one pass game option in in this offense this season so getting more jones on the field hopefully getting alan lazard back who started the week off with a limited practice like that just gives them enough weapons to feasibly make do with this and this is another offense where maybe we haven't given enough benefit of the doubt to rogers just from the fact that did we like these wide receivers and pass catchers coming into the season absolutely not and then they all get hurt like what do you expect to kind of happen in this passing game so lazard's been banged up randall cobb was starting to actually provide them with some rare flashes of explosion he gets hurt christian watson looks really fast out there man for the three plays before he re-injures his <laughs> hamstrings sammy Watkins was an ir like all these guys in an already bad passing game have gotten hurt so it really shouldn't be all that surprising to us that yeah okay nice touchdown samari tory as we're you know we're figuring out who you are but like it's probably not ideal that rogers needs to be uh thrown to some of those guys so at a minimum they're getting a little healthier you brought up the great matchup obviously and it's not gonna be this week i don't know when it's gonna be man Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, listen, you'd be kind of pleased. You might be on the on the small island with me and Dan Pazuda on our other show uh, where we talk about, honestly, we thought that the best thing that the Packers did was not trading for Chase Claypool because like what does adding him to the on the field, you know, with Al Lazard, he's very, very pretty much the same type of archetype receiver. Yeah. And like you might just get more out of this season. You, you might not win as many games, but you might as well just play Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson. Like yeah. throw that just they're gonna get way more out of seeing what those guys have and to help those guys more than if they would have been buried behind some other veteran wide receiver that we know isn't necessarily as good. Uh it is not getting a run out, right? Like so I mean I think they did smart, like a, a smart decision not getting in on any of these guys uh at the trade deadline, even though it's kind of like a joke to say, like, oh, look at the Packers, they're doing this again. Um, I get it. I get it that we do want them to have great receivers, but in the context of what they have right now, like let these kids play, just let the kids yeah. play right now and see I, what you can get. I just Romeo come back Dobbs to it. can play, man. Yeah. He needs help. Like with someone, I come back to every single team. Every single team needs a Will Fuller on the squad, but apparently no teams <laughs> are going to get the Will Fuller. But no, this offense, I think similar to uh, the Chargers, like when they just don't have that one clear cut yes. field stretcher, like Marquez Valdez Scantling, like that's the one thing they didn't replace. They tried to really replace MVS with Christian Watson. Like he was never going to be a Devonte Adams. Uh, replacement how can you replace Devonte adams but not having that speed threat on the outside like yeah dobbs claypool lazard they can go up and they can make a contested catch downfield but you're not really going to see them running by mm-hmm. guys and when you don't have that guy that makes things that much harder for everybody else in the underneath and intermediate areas of the field so 
really at that point, the only thing they can do is try to run teams out of those two high looks because they're not going to, I mean, they probably don't have to play too high against the Packers because again, they don't even have that field stretcher uh, to begin with. So just, it's one of these unfortunate things, you know, these are problems that we could all see before the season started. So I'm, I, I'm with you. I don't think like adding Claypool would have fixed anything, but I'm also not going to give him a pass for entering the season with <laughs> right. this group that again is really, you know, proving to be everything we thought they were going to. And that's not a good thing. No, absolutely. We've seen like the, with the way, like kind of the meta defense has played in the NFL this year. Like if it's hard to be a, a have a drop back passing game that relies on having like 10, eight yard completions. Like it's, it's just very hard. It's a hard way to live in the NFL. Uh, you need those guys that can create touchdowns on their own, whether it be after the catch or, you know, get behind somebody. Um, and the Packers did box themselves into this situation. So we can't, we can't give a pass for that either. No, I'm not trying to, absol- I'm not trying to absolve them for their sins, you know, of course not. The, of course uh, not. over the summer as either. Uh, no, but that's great. Fantastic stuff, man. I'll let you roll out of here. Let everyone know where they can find the work you're doing, what you have going on, all that good stuff, man. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure talking ball with one of my favorite people in the industry, brother. PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'll drag Rich over onto it, you know, every time and again. So check out those episodes at a minimum. And then throughout the year, we have a Sunday night breakdown. Joy McFarlane and myself review every single game that just happened. I hit the waiver wire live on Tuesday afternoons with Nathan Yonke. Kevin Cole and myself break down every single NFC and AFC team on Wednesdays. And on Friday, I get my guy Nick Botterford and then I go through every single fantasy relevant injury ahead of the weekend. So, you know, talked about the article content to start the show but i like to just try to cover everything to the point where if there is someone out there that just you know thinks i actually have my shit together you know we will try to get every single angle uh for you guys to hopefully just go out there and win those fantasy championships so great day to be great as always again appreciate you rich and uh yeah man week nine let's uh let's let's get through by again here and uh you know hopefully make some fantasy playoffs you love to see it. One of the greatest, man. One of the hardest working people and one of the most fun, energetic ones we have in this space, Ian Harditz. Uh, He said it better than I could. Everyone hit those cash lines. Hopefully you tip something over, get those season-long wins. We'll be back in week 10. 